have your Bibles, why don't you open them up to Mark chapter 12. We're going to read from the book of Mark, Mark chapter 12. And we will begin in verse 28. Continuing on as we've been going through the book of Mark together. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, that is Jesus, seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he, that is the scribe, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that we can trust whatever you say to us in your word. And we pray that you have, uh, we thank you that you have promised to make it effective. And so, Lord, as it is proclaimed now, as it is heralded, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear your words, that I would be faithful to explain them and to proclaim Christ. And we would all be faithful to receive your words and greater treasure your Son. I pray that you would do this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we have a lot of kids here. It's good to have the kids. It's good that you're here. And yes, you're going to understand more when you get older. But as you get older, you understand the most important things even now. And then later you'll learn more and more and more. So you can remember the story. I'm sure you can remember the story. So you remember from last time, there were some leaders Pharisees, scribes, teachers, Sadducees. These were basically, they were like church leaders and they did not love Jesus. In fact, they hated Jesus. And they were asking Jesus a bunch of questions and they were really hoping that Jesus wouldn't be able to answer the question. They were answering him questions. They were asking questions that they thought there was no answer to. Kind of like if someone says to you, what's your favorite number, blue or green? Well, of course, blue or green aren't numbers. So they thought they were going to trick Jesus into showing that he was not really God. But there was another guy who was also one of the leaders of God's people. You could say he was kind of like one of the leaders of the church. And he heard them asking Jesus questions. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, we're asking Jesus questions? I've got a question I'd like to ask him. And so he asked Jesus a question. He asked Jesus because he wanted to know. Jesus, what's the most important of God's commandments? Because if you've read the Bible, you know that God has a bunch of commandments, a bunch of rules. And Jesus answered this guy. 
And Jesus doesn't make up an answer. Jesus goes back to the Bible, back to the Old Testament, the thing that was, was written many, many hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And he gives two answers. What's the most important commandment? The first one he says is you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your might and with all your soul. And I missed a few of them. And so love the Lord your God with everything. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And when this church leader, this scribe heard it, he was really happy. He said, that's right. And then he says back what Jesus said, and then he adds one more thing. Yeah, and it's better than offering sacrifices to God. And Jesus responded. When he knew this guy was serious, when he saw this guy really did care what was the most important, when he really wanted to know about God's law, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom of God. That means you're close, but you're not quite in the kingdom of God yet. You're not in the family of God yet. Yes, you know the law of God. It's very good. But knowing the law of God is not enough to get you into God's family. And after Jesus said this, everyone else was too afraid to ask Jesus a question. Those people who were trying to trick Jesus, they're like, we're not going to ask him a question. We're going to look foolish. He's not going to look foolish. So you can remember the story. You could tell your parents this after. But you can also remember the most important parts. I'm sure if your parents gave you candies, you could remember the most important parts. You could tell them. God loves it when we ask real questions. We have questions about the Bible. We really want to know. He wants us to ask those questions. If you really want to know what God wants... He wants it, and that's one of the reasons the Bible was given. So ask those questions. Ask them of your mom and dad. Ask them of people in the church. Ask the pastors. God loves those things. He loves it when you really, really want to know something about him. Don't be afraid to ask questions about God. The second thing that, it, that this passage, this part of the Bible teaches us is that the most important thing that God commands us is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yes, God has lots of other commandments, but that's what he's saying. All those commandments are teaching us how to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God. And the second thing is that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. All the other commandments, they teach us how to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. And the last thing, this is very important. The last thing that this teaches us is that God's law is very good. So good. It's really good. It teaches us how to love each other. It makes, if people follow it, it makes the world such a lovely place. But even though God's law is really good, you cannot get into God's kingdom by obeying God's law. You can't. You can't because you won't obey it good enough. You won't obey it from your heart perfectly. You need a savior who obeyed it perfectly. And he can bring you into God's kingdom as a, a gift. All right. There we go. We're moving on here. Our first point is this. A sincere question 
for the Lord Jesus, okay? So we know this is a sincere question. Don't just trust me. I'll show you from scripture, okay? We know it's a sincere question. I'll give you some reasons why I would say that. Uh, So this guy sees that Jesus answered them well. So he's responding to Jesus because Jesus answered well. You see that in verse 28, seeing that he answered them well, okay? So we know that's one reason we see this guy was asking a sincere uh, sincere question. Then 32 gives us some more indication. The teacher says, you, or the, the teacher, the scribe says, you were right, teacher, to Jesus. So he's agreeing. So he says back what Jesus says, and then he sort of adds on, not to contradict Jesus, but to say, you know, I, I know, we get it. I, here's how I know. I know what you're saying, okay? And then we also see in verse 34, Jesus said, it, it says that Jesus knew this guy answered wisely. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, we read in the book of Proverbs, There's one proverb that says, answer a fool in his folly. And another proverb that says, don't answer a fool in his folly, right? How do you you deal with a, a fool asking foolish questions? What does Jesus say about this guy? What's the opposite of a fool? What's the opposite of, uh, opposite of folly? Wisdom, look at this. What does Jesus say? When Jesus saw that he answered Wisely, this is not a fool question. This is a sincere question. Isn't that great? Proverbs in the gospel is so beautiful. He said, and here's another thing, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. All these things paint a lovely picture of a guy walking into a situation. They're questioning Jesus and naively he's like, oh, we're, oh, we're asking questions of Jesus? I got one. He's not part of this group who cooked up this plan to try to embarrass Jesus. This guy really has a sincere question. Now, Why did he ask this question? It's actually not clear why he asked the question. We do know it was a heartfelt question. He really wanted to know what Jesus would say. There's essentially two reasons why this guy would ask this question. Both of them are sincere, and maybe it's kind of both. See if you can see this with me. First of all, because he really wanted to know. Maybe he was, this, this is something that had been on his mind. He's a scribe. That means he would have been copying the Bible as part of his job. He would have been studying it and teaching others. So maybe after looking at all the laws and all the laws, and he's starting to get confused. And he's like, what would please God? What does God really, really, really want of us? Jesus, can you summarize God's law? Maybe he really wants to know because he's, he's concerned about his relationship with God. He wants to make sure that he is honoring God And so he asked this question. Maybe that's why he asked Jesus. I think probably that's part of it. Maybe, though, there's a second reason. There's a second possible reason as as to why he would ask this question of Jesus and ask it sincerely. Maybe he already knew the answer. Maybe he knew these two, questions, these two answers were the actual answers. Love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It's possible that he knew this, and he had seen Jesus teach. He had heard that Jesus is the Messiah. He's really hoping Jesus is the Messiah, but he would need to ask a couple, he'd need to know the Bible. So he's, he's testing Jesus, not to try to trap him, but he wants to make sure that the Messiah loves the Bible. He wants to make sure that the Messiah actually obeys and loves the law of God. Because remember, one of the things Jesus was accused of, people accused Jesus of saying, I don't care about God's law. Jesus never said that. And so it could be that he's sincerely asking, if Jesus answers this wrong, he can't be the Messiah. 
I want him to be the Messiah, and so I'm really hoping he knows the answer. So it seems like, because the guy replies to Jesus and quotes it back, seems like he kind of already knew what the answer was, maybe. He wasn't sure. He's verifying his identity. This is a lovely thing. Jesus took this very, he took it in a very loving way. He, he, he honored this question. He loved that question, and he, so he gave him that response. Now, it is a very important question. It is a very important question. Sometimes you can get lost when you're reading the Bible. And there's lots of commands in the Bible. You get lost, like, what is, what is going on here? How, how, what would it look like to obey God? So the important question is, what is the point? What is the point of God's law? Now, he's not asking for him to tell me uh, which commands don't matter. I'll give, you, I'll give you a rule of thumb. If God commanded it, it matters. Okay. He's not asking which ones don't matter and which ones do. That's not what he's asking for. Otherwise, Jesus would have picked one of the answers from the Ten Commandments. Jesus didn't pick one of the commandments and be like, this is it. The other nine don't matter. He actually takes his answer from outside of the Ten Commandments, to which basically shed a light on all of the Ten Commandments. All of God's commands matter. God is the king. Whatever he says, your word, as it says, is my command. Your word is our command. It's also important for us to realize that Jesus's answer was found in the Old Testament. Both answers are found in the Old Testament. Jesus wasn't a revolutionary. Jesus wasn't overturning the character and the commands of God. He's not like, you know what? The Old Testament God was mean. He had bad laws. I'm the New Testament God. I'm nice. I have nice laws. Old Testament was just about a bunch of rules. New Testament is about love. (laughs) He gets these answers about love from the Old Testament. He gets them from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's not opposed to these things. It is very important to understand the law of God. Not just the the rules which can seem maybe random if you don't understand it, but it's very important to know that this is what is God's heart behind the commandments. Yes, the words on the page matter. The spirit of the law also matters. You understand the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law? What we need to understand is that there will be teachers who tell you to ignore the letter of the law because the spirit of law is better. They're fools. They are the kind of people who would try to question Jesus and say, hey, isn't the spirit different than the letter? And Jesus would reject that very clearly. No. The spirit of God's law, which is to love God and neighbor, is never out of step with the letter of God's law. God is not confused, and he's not confusing. His commands are how we are to love each other. Do you have sincere questions of the Lord? Something bugging you about something about God or the Bible, and you really want to know the answer? You, you want to know how these two passages fit together? You want to know how this works or that works? Don't be afraid to ask. These are really good things. You never have to be afraid 
that the answer will be embarrassing to God. You never have to be afraid that the answer might be, oh, you can't trust the Bible or the Bible is opposed to itself. You know, this isn't like the Wizard of Oz. Don't look behind the curtain. Don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. Don't look. Don't ask. This is the opposite. God loves to disclose his reasons and he loves to show that every portion of the Bible fits with every other portion of the Bible. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Be careful where you ask them. Ask them from people who you know love the word of God. People who you know love you. Ask them of people who have a track record of affirming every single thing in scripture and never trying to get you to question scripture. Understanding God's law is incredibly important. That takes us to our second point, which is this. The greatest commandment is to love the one God with all you have. You notice how you get singular and everything, right? The one God with all you have. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 here. Deuteronomy 6, Jesus answers, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. For those of you who may not be aware, this is the most famous of the Jewish scriptures. If, if the kids are memorizing one part of the Bible back then, they're memorizing this. In fact, it was known by its first word, hear, O Israel, Shema. That was, it's just known as the Shema. So Jesus is quoting this. He knows it, right? Why is this first? Why is that, why is it first? I think the answer is very clear, because he's God. That's why. We have to have rightly ordered loves. If you start by saying the most important is to love your neighbor, Second is to love God. There's two things that will be true. You will neither love your neighbor, nor will you love God. But if God comes first in terms of your first love, then you will love God and you will also love your neighbor. Because God is the source of life. He is the source of love. He's the one who defines love. And he's the creator and judge. Notice also here, he, he's very clear. He's saying that the Lord is one. There is no other. There's no other God. To love multiple gods with all one's heart is not possible. It's not even possible to love multiple gods with all one's heart. It's kind of like, we don't believe in polygamy, and one of the reasons is, try loving each of your wives with all of your heart. Good luck. It's bad. We have the beauty of undivided attention here. Isn't that sweet? The beauty of undivided attention, of an undivided affection. There never needs to be a choice between loving God or doing good, or even to love another person. Our love for God should exceed our love for others, but it never is in competition. Don't ever agree with someone when they say that to you. Because it shapes, our love of God shapes and defines what love is for every single person. Now, in Luke 14, Jesus says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Jesus is talking in comparison. Because, of course, he just said you need to love your neighbor as yourself. The point is, 
Jesus will not ever make you choose between him and someone else. But people will do that to you. People will do that to you. And loving God will always mean that you love people, but it will shape the way that looks. It will shape the way that it looks. Notice it says, he says, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's a broadness to this command, isn't there? Think about how, how deep this command goes. You know, you, you could say that idolatry is forbidden. You're not allowed to make an idol and bow down to it. And worship, religious worship is commanded. It's one of the reasons why we're here Sunday mornings. We gather week after week. Religious worship is commanded, but it is not all. It's not the fullness because a person could not bow down to idols and a person could go to church week by week and not love God. It's possible to do it casually or half-heartedly. And so what this teaches us is that it's not merely about activities. Make sure you do the right activities. This is getting down to the heart with all your strength, with all that you do, all of your effort, is in response to God's love for you and out of your love for him. How about your mind? Your thoughts? What do you use your mind to pursue? What do you use your intellect? Are you doing these as ways to love God more? And then, of course, the soul and heart. But it's not just with your heart. It's with your whole heart. Now, this is a wonderful design. Isn't it a beautiful command? But how many of us can say that? How many can say that they have truly loved God with their whole heart, with their whole mind, with their whole strength? If we truly knew how lovely and how wondrous and how perfect and loving and pure and wise God is, and how desperately everything is held together by the word of his power, we would see that our love for God is inadequate. We are always undervaluing God with our love when we consider how good he is. But wouldn't it be glorious? Wouldn't it be glorious to be able to truly experience what it is to have an undivided heart, to love God with your whole heart, all your strength, all your mind? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that just be a lovely thing to have an undivided heart in that regard, to not sometimes love God and sometimes not love God, and to love God in some areas and then not in other ways and always having this conflict? Wouldn't it be great if your mind was fixed, your heart was fixed on God? That doesn't mean all you do is bow down, worship, and sing, but even when you're working, even when you're changing diapers, even when you're about to go to sleep, no matter what you're doing, your mind is fixed, your heart is fixed on God, and you're doing all of these things to work. Wouldn't that be wonderful? What a life that would be. What a beautiful life that would be. Our third point, the, greatest, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. Not simply don't kill your neighbor. It's a pretty low bar. Not, don't make sure you don't steal his things. Love him. And love him as yourself. Turn to Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Leviticus 19. Brother Roger read that for us. And, and Jesus is quoting from Leviticus 19. 
In fact, he's quoting from verse 18. I'll read 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. There's the heart part again, right? But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Lest you incur sin because of him, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. And here it comes. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now Jesus here is quoting from Leviticus 19. Intention is not enough. Your intentions are not enough. I tried. In my heart, I wanted to. It's not enough, but it is essential. What I mean by that is, it's not enough to just love your neighbor with your, with your thoughts and feelings, but not with your actions. Nor is it enough to just do actions, but in your heart, hate your neighbor. To truly love your neighbor is to do it, actions that God commands, and also with your heart. To obey God's laws, you can't say that you love someone simply because you didn't kill them. Or that you didn't steal from them. Or that you have never committed adultery against them. Is this a lovely law? Is it beautiful? A law of love, literally. What a wonderful world that would be. If neighbors didn't simply just not steal from each other or kill each other, but if they loved each other. And if they loved each other as they loved themselves. Wouldn't it be great if others did it? But wouldn't it be great if you did it? If I did it? I I hope you can see this isn't a harsh law. This isn't a harsh law. This is a sweet and beautiful and great law. But it is high and lofty. And it does seem impossible, doesn't it? How often could I genuinely say that I love everyone in my life as much and as earnestly as I love myself? That as much as I want good things for myself, I want this for others, even when it doesn't benefit me. We see in, uh, that, that law is, or love is the fulfillment of the law of God. That doesn't mean it cancels it, but it means that it is the point of it. We see this in Romans 13. I'll read Romans 13, 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves one another, uh, the one who loves another has fulfilled their good, that is, fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. To, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not wrong, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So God's law defines what love is, and therefore, it also defines what hate is. God's law always lines up with and defines what it is to truly love people. And don't be surprised when the world disagrees with God's definition of love and actually pits God's laws and says God's laws are actually hatred. Or to say that you have to break God's law if you want to love someone. Don't be surprised when that happens. That's a tale as old as time. But don't be surprised because it's common. Don't also be surprised because it's in your own heart as well. So the world tells us that to love is to affirm one's choices. Love means not to offend someone or not to correct someone. 
or to join them in their false delusions. You should say, yes, whatever you think is true, even though I know it's not. And again, don't be surprised if your own heart disagrees with God's definition of love. Well, yes, I mean, I would love my, my wife better, but I mean, if she was better, then maybe I would love her more. Maybe being mean to her is how I'm going to love her. Do you see that this is in our own hearts as well, isn't it? I have to be a jerk to my neighbor. I can't let him get away with being mean to me. Don't be surprised when your own heart wants to redefine God's law and redefine love so it doesn't fit with God's law. Trust God's law of love. Trust it. Do not redefine love or law in your own heart simply because your heart struggles to see God's law is good. It is good. That is the problem, isn't it? This is the problem because the problem is actually in our hearts. We constantly want to redefine what love is and, and disobey the law of God. We struggle with it. This is why Christ came to redeem, is because of this problem within our hearts. Not to change God's law so it fits our hearts, but to change our hearts so they fit with God's law. And thankfully, this takes us to our next point, that the law of God is great and perfect, but it cannot bring a man into the kingdom of God. Notice how the scribe agrees. If you're back, turn back here. Notice how the, the scribe agrees with Jesus. The scribe adds a view of, of sacrifices. He, he says as well uh, in verse 33, and to love him with all your heart and with all this understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, here he, he adds, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So he's agreeing here with Jesus. And, they, and together, Jesus and this man are correcting some people who really thought that what God wanted was sacrifices. And so if you paid, for sa- if you paid sacrifices, you killed animals and you gave them to God, then really God liked that, and so that meant you could keep sinning. So you sin, oh, I've got to offer sacrifices, but actually, maybe I'm offering sacrifices so that I can sin. It's kind of like a vending machine. The bags of chips in there are sins, And what God really wants, just like a person who owns a vending machine, what what God really wants is sacrifices. And so if you want to sin, well, then you've got to give God those sacrifices. Just like if you want those chips, you've got to pay the money. And both of them are saying, that's ridiculous. God doesn't need sacrifices and want sacrifices. What does he want? He wants you to love God and love neighbor. God provided the sacrifices for the people so they could be forgiven and reconciled to him so they could turn away from their sin. Jesus honors the scribe, and he says that he's near the kingdom. Do you notice that? You are not far from the kingdom. 34, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And so Jesus does this publicly. He honors this man. This man is set apart from the other turkeys who were asking him trick questions. He says, you're near the kingdom. This man had a a greater understanding. He was was zeroing in on the purpose of the law. It seems he loved the law. He he had an appreciation for it. He understood that it was not just the actions, it was the heart. And he knew it was about loving God and loving neighbor first and foremost, and the rest flowed out of that. He knew these things. He wasn't just trying to show his wisdom. This man is trying to understand, how can I come to God? How can I live in a way that God Loves, how can I 
belong to God. But notice that Jesus says, he doesn't say you are in the kingdom. What does he say? You are not far off. This tells us that even though the law of God is perfect and wonderful, it is, it's beautiful. It cannot save you. The law of God is beautiful. It is a light to our path. It's a lamp to our feet. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. But the law serves as a mirror, dear friends. If you look at God's law, it shows you your character in comparison to God's. And it shows you how far short you have fallen. It shows you your sin. It shows you your need for salvation so that you can run to Christ. Anybody who thinks they're in the kingdom because they're good at the law hasn't been paying good enough attention to the law because the law would show you're not in comparison to Christ. And so, dear friends, this is a very good thing for us to do. Use God's law to help you share the gospel with people. The gospel doesn't make any sense without the law. Telling someone, oh, you can just have Jesus as your best friend. And like, maybe I don't want that. But you show the law of God and, show, and use it to show them that they, they, are, they are sinful and they need to be forgiven. And oh, look at Christ. He's eager to forgive. And how did Christ fulfill the law? How does he bring us into the kingdom of heaven? Well, first Jesus came. He became a human to obey human laws, the Ten Commandments, summarized by loving God and loving neighbor. He did that perfectly. First one who's ever done that perfectly, flawless, not just with his words and actions, but also from within his heart. That we were imagining earlier, what would it look like to only love God all the time and then love your neighbor as yourself with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Jesus did that. He lived that life. And dear friends, he did it for you. He did it to create a perfect record. Royal robes of righteousness, the Bible says. So he could give those robes to you. So you're clothed with those robes. When you meet God, you stand before him. He says, where's your righteousness? And he says, Christ, and you say, Christ is my righteousness. He did it for me. Well, what happened to your filthy robes? Well, Christ takes them off of you. He puts them on himself. And then standing before God in judgment on the cross, he says to the Father, damn me for their sin. None of the children that I love have loved you with all your, their heart, soul, strength, and mind. They have not loved their neighbor as themselves. None of them have done it, and I do not want them to go to hell. So Father, damn me instead of them. And he did. And the sky went dark for three hours and there was an earthquake and the, the, the ground split open and the temple curtain ripped open. And graves were open and people walked out and God made very clear that everybody would know what was happening. That this man, though innocent, was being damned by God for a vast multitude of sinners for their sins. And he died and he was buried and on the third day, he rose again, which was God saying, this man was innocent. The grave couldn't keep him. He was raised from the dead so that we would be forgiven for our sins. He was also raised so that we would have new life. The Bible had always promised a day when God would give a Messiah who could Give us new hearts. i just read a couple of verses from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 30, 13, verse 23. 
a lovely illustration. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard change his spots? Then also you can do, you who, uh, can do good, uh, then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. God is saying, he's taking an illustration of things that no one would want to change or should want to change. Like a leopard's spots or your skin color. You couldn't do that. Let alone change your own heart. And then in Jeremiah 31, a beautiful promise of the new covenant. Behold, the days are coming declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here it is. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each, uh, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Dear friends, you need to be forgiven for your sin, but you also need a new heart. And this is the promise, the offer of the gospel to love God with our hearts. Isn't that wonderful? He gives us new hearts. We can call that the doctrine of regeneration, rebirth, or new birth, or being born again. So he gives us his spirit. He gives us a new heart so that we would now love God. We would be able to love his commandments, walk according to them. We won't do it perfectly. But when we're corrected, we can be corrected. When a brother or sister takes the word of God and saying, look, you're, you're, you're not loving God as he says in his word, then the spirit of God works in you to take that correction and be like, okay, I can be corrected. God's law is now written on our hearts and we have a love for God and a love for neighbor. As God defines, not as we would it's very interesting that the context of Leviticus 19, the context for what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it, can, it incorporates all of the law of God, but very specifically in verses 17 and 18 of Leviticus 19 is the question of what do you do when your brother sins against you? How do you love someone who sins against you? Some of you are familiar with Matthew 18, where Jesus asks that, answers that question, what do you do if your brother sins against you? We may not have realized he was quoting from the verse that actually says, love your neighbor as yourself. What do you do? It says, reason frankly with your brother. Talk to him about it. Don't cut him off. Don't cancel him. Don't talk to everybody but him. Talk to him. Draw him with the word of God and the gospel of God. If he doesn't listen, bring someone else. Talk to him. Try to win him back for Christ. If he doesn't listen, if he just still doesn't listen, bring some, a couple more people. And if ultimately it doesn't work, bring it to the church and the church can say, oh, then we can't treat you as a Christian because God says Christians will be corrected by the word of God. Isn't it beautiful that that is the actual direct context for the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself when someone sins against you. Don't go talking about it with other people. Talk to them. And you also have the option of saying, I'm going to let love cover that. I'm going I'm to talk to no one about it. Not this brother and not other people. 
I'll talk to the Lord and that's it. Dear friends, come to Christ. Come to the Bible with sincere questions. Eager to discover how it is we are to be saved and how to live according to God's law. Psalm 119, 17 to 18 says this, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Dear friends, God's law of love condemns each of us, showing that we have fallen short. But it throws us to Christ so that we could run to him for our salvation. Not just salvation from the punishment of sin, but also salvation from the, the power of sin. To loosen our hearts, loosen sin's grip on our hearts to give us a new heart that loves God. Run to him, receive forgiveness, and also a new birth. Dear friends, he's eager to supply this. What I love about this passage is the phrase it says, he is not far from the kingdom. How do we get in the kingdom? Let's close with some of the the Lord's own words in scripture. How fitting is this response to this man? Colossians Colossians 1 verse 9 to 14. Oh, it's beautiful. Pay attention for how you get in the kingdom. And so from the first day we have not, we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance with patience and joy. Giving thanks to the Father. Here it is. Oh, it's good. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Isn't that sweet? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Dear friends, the law of God is sweet. He could point us to the kingdom. He could show that we're not. He could point us to how sweet the king and his kingdom are. But you need to be qualified for that kingdom. And the Lord Jesus took your credentials and was damned. And he gives you his credentials to qualify you for the kingdom. How glorious it is. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you for how sweet your word is. Today we were able to see how it is all working together from what you said from the beginning and and now at the end of your word, how it is all, all summed up in how your law is a law of love and how we have failed to keep it and how Christ has done that on our behalf, not just to forgive us, but also to transfer us into the kingdom and to give us new hearts where we would love you and love our neighbor. Father, there are people here who have not yet been transferred into your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that you would give them faith in Christ right now. That the law of God would show that they are outside the kingdom and they would run to Christ by the gospel and he would transfer them in. Not by anything they've done, but simply by trusting in his credentials that are given to them by faith.
I pray that you would make us a people who are loving. Loving to you. With undivided hearts. And that we would truly love each other as you have loved us. That we love each other as we love ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would make that the case, especially when others offend us. Lord, you know how weak and sinful we are. You know that that is hard. But you know your power better than we do. And that you have given us your spirit to do just that. I pray that you would transform us more and more. And I pray that you do this in Christ's name.